This is a poem by Jerry Rhodes, The Principles of Humanism. The golden rule, those with the goal shall rule, is to be replaced by those with common sense have the human votes to rule. The rest are billy goats spouting racism, socialism, capitalism, fascism, ism, ism, isms, when all we want is humanism. The complexities of our world, the battles for flags unfurled, is there simplicity there that can explain how to have happiness in spite of pain? Is it so hard to know, not why, but how to grow? Does it have to be deciphered by the professors of Harvard and Yale, turning the glow of life to a confused pale? Why does it have to be so hard? Why is it scientific to count cases without regard? Or success dependent upon the turning of a card? Nay, that's only the human's way, wanting to impress, to assume the power and control the press. Rather than giving a simple yes, we pull it through the complexity, the cloak of complexity, watering it down with ingenuity until there's no such thing as purity, no such thing as the ease of an undeniable truth and the uncast shadow of youth. That merely assumes that we have to live through monsoons and shouldn't have to control the weather or recreate the aerobics of a feather. It's not necessary to multiply, divide, and carry for the sake of making it hard, till jokers are wild, holding the wild card. With common sense and goodwill, lost to the complexities of nonsense and hell, while the soothsayers spout and the intellectuals pout about politics, climate, change, terrorists, and all other indefinable events, by referring everything to an algorithm or an evangelical hymn to make sure once again that a trump card doesn't win. The other cards on the deck, dumbing down the electorate, make transparency after they inspect and keeping public opinion in check with political talk of, now listen, listen up, listen up while we corrupt. Free health care is a right with costs out of sight. It's an issue, not a problem. Now listen up. Are you deaf and dumb? It's God's will for right to life or right to choose. Black lives matter, white lives matter more. Police no more. It's a pandemic agenda of fear. Bend the curve or death to America is near. Prayer out of the schools, free college tuition for fools. The way to debate away the country's fate. Unlimited minimum wage is our mission. Maximum wage is an evil invention. Public officials are above reproach the president's a lousy coach. White supremacy must be erased, attacking history with statues debased. Marching for a peaceful cause is gone. Take it even though it's wrong. It's the media's fault that injustice is a, injustice is a mess and our forefathers' reparation must invest. Read my lips. It's a culture of violence, vulgarity, and excess. While the ACLU says, let the flag burn, and there's no need to stand up for the anthem or Fort Bragg, and our sports celebrities and billionaires demand respect for the excesses they expect. With 
a Congress divided by two parties but frozen by one sin. It takes money to win. Driven by get gridlock, faking a goal that they covet America's soul. What happened to common everyday horse sense? Sharing of our wealth that's gambled away on dollars and nonsense. Oh, for the 40s and 50s when a dollar was gold and patriotism never grew old. Purchasing votes with good old common sense, C-E-N-T-S, instead of debt, bitcoins, and fingerprints. Doing away with all those isms with the principles of humanism. Today, we shall rise and tear down that wall of violence, vulgarity, and excess with a nonviolent culture of love and peaceful coexistence with justice and freedom for all. For divided, we will fall. From the book, The American Enterprise Manifesto, proposing a third party uh, of humanism. Hello again, uh, this is Jerry Rhodes. It's uh, July 16th, 2021. This is podcast number 49 in year two. It's called Divide and Conquer China with Humanism. We could divide and conquer. This is a poem by Jerry Rhodes. We could divide and conquer, but the enemy is us. Who is the winner? Those that divide and conquer? But we are the conqueror, aren't we? And they are the enemy? Wait a minute. That's not what happened. While you were ranting about them cheating, they cheated you out of a re-election. Who are you talking like that? We are the voters who want to hear how you multiply and conquer. Instead, you ran on about losing your way in a re-election. Okay, have it your way. We want someone who is humble and tough, not the same old you that calls a spade a spade a goddamn shovel. Is that what you mean? Or is it what you believe? Sitting in the dugout with a pout, as the conqueror, a woke discard, divides your supporters into a loser's band, using the divisor as a winning hand. That's what I call Trump's fall from power and Biden's ascension to conqueror. This reenactment of the current political war between the two-party establishment over who will rule under the golden rule of politics. Those with the gold shall rule forever. Since 1776, America is ruled by one or two parties. One of two parties, Republicans or Democrats. The possibility of a third party breaking through the money ticks barrier are low. But maybe the current regime will self-indulge so much debt and deficit that bills won't get paid without more deficits and debt until the many, our 200 million enterprising Americans, will vote the few all out of office, then put in the new political weapon called the swing vote. It is Rome in every sense of history with uh, Trump as Caesar, who was politically assassinated by his own ego, and Biden 
Pompey slithering in like a snake from the Senate of nobles, the savior from America's version of Hitler in his early days of spouting nationalism, who then pulls his armies back to Rome, paraphrased Afghanistan, and self-destructs on inflation, more debt and a worthless lira, or paraphrased dollar. All the while, China and Russia stand in awe at the way Marxism has infiltrated America's media, youth, and immigrants of color in the voting booth, putting in a weak and woke administration that has the Roman Empire template being implemented by the Senate of Sharks and the House of Cards. How can we use this as a ploy to divide and conquer China and Russia our greatest threat to US a democracy, to divide and conquer our adversaries before they conquer us with the same tactics. We need to have a third party that is a swing vote correcting our political system with new generally accepted accounting principles, new taxation methods, using net worth as the basis, new healthcare principles that pay for outcome, not income and humanism as our governing principles. Using humanism as a tactic of Lee, Lee Hongzhi, Chinese founder of Fulan Gong, who writes, pacify the external by cultivating the internal. If the population values self-cultivation and the nurturing of virtues, and if both officials and civilians alike exercise self-restraint in their minds, the whole nation will be stable and supported by the people. Being solid and stable, the nation will naturally intimidate foreign enemies and peace thus reign under heaven. Li Housing, a sage and leader of the Fulan Gong movement of 350 million Chinese who have opted out of the Chinese Communist Party. This has been quoted from the Epic Times, June of 2021. So considering the, the current situation where we have a gridlock Congress and we have a new administration taking us down a path that the majority ultimately will not approve of, we need to divide and conquer. And I would say we need to use the same tactics as uh, the Fulan Gong are using in China as you, you, you divide and conquer with human, humanism. We, we, we have a majority of 200 million enterprising Americans that can get behind a swing vote by the American Enterprise Party that represents them and use humanism as the uh, foundation of uh, not not a better America. I'm not going to call it a better America. I'm going to call it a new America founded on principles of humanism. Uh, this is a, is a poem from uh, my book, uh, The American Enterprise Manifesto. What's capitalism? My grandson, who will vote for the first time, ask me, what's capitalism? <laughs>
And I said, it's socioeconomics where the outcome feeds upon people's income and restores itself for growth and prosperity for all. What's socialism? It's socioeconomics where the outcome feeds upon its followers and kills initiative, growth, and prosperity. What's communism? It's socioeconomics where the few feeds upon the remains of the many. What's fascism? It's socioeconomics where the outcome feeds on fear and death. What's worldism? It's socioeconomics where the outcome feeds the great enterprise for the greater good. It can also be called humanism. What's liberal? It's socioeconomics where bigger government, more laws and taxes feeds the few at the cost of the many. What's conservative? It's socioeconomics where smaller government, fewer laws and taxes feeds the many at the direction of the few. What's centrist? It's socioeconomics where decentralized government, fewer taxes and laws feeds the many, a third party alternative that conserves what the few liberals, progressives, and conservatives waste. I call it the American Enterprise Party Pyramid. It supports downsizing governments and upsizing enterprise. It's socioeconomics where the new laws are limited to pass one and get rid of 10. Get rid of redundancy of regulations and, and agencies between federal and state governments, reducing fixed overhead by 50%. Get rid of lifetime Supreme Court justices. Limit terms of Congress, congressmen, legislative electives as we have with the president and governors. Get rid of full-time career politicians and regulators. Get rid of patronage jobs and committee appointees at all levels of government. Get rid of tenure for public workers and officials. Get rid of nepotism and inheriting public office once held by a relative. Require every American who draws Social Security, workman's comp, disability, food stamps, pensions, Medicare, Medicaid will be involved in government for a minimum of two years. That's capitalism plus socialism, which equals enterprise, preventing communism, fascism, liberalism, conserv conservatism, putting work and at the center of GDP, GNP, you and me, as happy, healthy, and sharing in prosperity. It is the political party of humanism. This is a poem I wrote for the book, The American Enterprise Manifesto. It's called Inflation, Deflation, Stagnation. Simple economics is never simple. It's an imposing dimple. So keep it simple, Simon, or suffer an infested pimple. Inflation. It's paying more and getting less. I see it when I pass the gas station. 
I see it when I get my spendable ration. I see it when I see it when I read about the nation. More inflation. Getting less and wanting less. I can't view it with elation. Nor can I understand its creation. But I'm suffering from its impregnation. More inflation. They say it's an expectant economy's gestation. A dollar chasing frustration. And government spending sensation. In the name of a political indigestion. Less inflation. Maybe it's just the result of my faulty expectation that my welfare check comes from excess taxation and my personal accounts don't contribute to stagnation. A a pregnant economy due to excess consumption and not managing the business gestation with a buying and borrowing obsession, which means it's our personal responsibility to manage our business and affairs for maximum return so government doesn't destroy initiative just to be taxed for what we earn. Deflation. A pregnant economy due to excess consumption and not managing the business gestation with a buying and borrowing obsession, which means it's our personal responsibility to manage our enterprise and affairs for maximum return so government doesn't destroy initiative just for what we used to earn. What does GNP mean? It means growth was good, nation was strong, profits were earned. Now, GDP. Government can't save us, dollar value is down, plunging us into endless debt. Deflation is primarily due to the Federal Reserve monetary policies, and interference with member bank discount rates, sinking the subprime markets and the value of the dollar. So now we get to stagnation. Spending less and getting less quality is when the government gives away too much, controls lives with a tax crunch, telling everyone what they should eat at lunch, and runs everything on an an academic hunch. It is when the debt service becomes an excessive burden on the cost of producing products and services for a profit, and the government jobs make GDP grow, even though it adds nothing to cash flow. Inflation, deflation, stagnation. The imminent demise of a nation is time for a reorganization. Elect someone with a business reputation, where the capitalist is the beast, the socialist is the least, the worker is the yeast, The consumer is the feast. Then it's time for a third party, the American Enterprise Party. The swing vote party that pulls the two-party extremes towards the middle and lets the laissez-faire market decide the ride. By bringing together the capital and worker for liberty and opportunity for all to decide. To save the American dream. This is Jerry Rhodes. uh, going to quote from a book that I bought. It's called The Swing Vote, The Untapped Power of the Swing Vote by Linda Killian. I'm going to quote some sections of this book that support my 
not only premise, but passion to get a third party active and effective. I'm going to quote on her first chapter. Most Americans are in the center and actually agree on a great deal. We're not so deeply divided a nation as either the two parties or the political pundits would have us believe. They just need to listen to the independent voters. These voters at the ideological center of national political thought represent the way forward for the political parties and a new way of thinking and trying to solve problems. These voters want compromise and common sense, and they want Republicans and Democrats to work together on centrist solutions through the most difficult problems we face as a nation. Only by listening to these voters and reforming the political process can we revitalize our politics and our country. A quote from chapter 3. A great many people are struggling on how to fix our broken system. There are a lot of good ideas out there, including demanding more civility from our officials and the media, reducing the power of money in politics and the influence of lobbyists and special interests, increasing the number of competitive congressional and state legislative districts, which would encourage more centrist candidates to run for office and opening up the primary process in all 50 states to independent or, in, the, in my proposal, American Enterprise voters. But unless independent voters push for these reforms, they are unlikely to happen. The political parties caught in a never-ending loop of finger-pointing, blaming each other, and trading power don't seem willing or able to change things. I continue quoting. There is a strong sense that the way Washington does its work is out of touch with the way other people do their work. I think it's true to some extent. The hyper-partisanship of Washington is as bad as I thought when I came here and is disconnected from the problem-solving people would like to see. I had a lot of friends who said to me, are you crazy? Why do you want to go back to that place? It's so dysfunctional. This is the land of made-up facts. There are a bunch of Washington special interests that are fighting each other and masquerading as political parties. I continue to quote from the swing vote. Unfortunately, Congress doesn't seem to be able to deliver on that promise. Most academics and politicians don't foresee any imminent change in the way Congress works, and until there is, it's unlikely there will be much progress in the nation's large, intractable, and increasingly serious problems. It could take a major crisis to force the two parties to work together. And if they fail to deal with the nation's fiscal problems, the fallout may very well provide just such a crisis. I continue to quote, 
Mrs. Kellyan states, there is a power in, in numbers. The political parties always have known this, and the only change, only way change will happen is if enough people demand it. As Jim Lynch says, it requires the commitment of all Americans. Jim Lynch was a uh, congressman. The choice for leaders is whether to opt for unifying statesmanship or opportunistic partisanship. Likewise, the challenge for citizen, citizens is to determine whom to follow, those who respect diversity but favor a united country, or those who press debilitating cultural wars or extreme ideological agendas. Citizenship is hard. It takes a commitment to listen, watch, read, and think in ways that allow the imagination to put one person in the shoes of another. I continue to quote. On June 17, 1825, 50 years to the day after the Battle of Bunker Hill, the first major battle in the Revolutionary War, Daniel Webster spoke at the ceremony to lay the cornerstone for the Boston Monument that commemorates that battle. Let our age be the age of improvement, Webster said. Let us develop the resources of our land, call forth its powers, build up its institutions, promote all its great interests, and see whether we also, in our day and generation, may not perform something worthy to be remembered. Let our age be the age of improvement. Let us vow to address our most pressing problems and move ahead as a nation. We can do it together, says Linda Killian, as the final words in her book, The Untapped Power of Independence and the Swaying Vote. Who captains the American ship Enterprise, 100 senators, 435 congressmen, 9 Supreme Court justices, 1 president, 90% attorneys with no business background? Why would we re-elect the two parties that got us into a bankrupt position? If so why don't we hold them accountable? Why would we believe that the red and the blue parties act in our best interests? If so why are they not able to agree on anything? Why would we choose to bank our future on the past faults of the establishment? If so why continue with a broken two-party system? Why wouldn't we find someone that represents enterprising Americans? We need an effective third party representing enterprising Americans. Why wouldn't we vote for enterprising officials? Because there is no platform until the American Enterprise Party is the swing vote. Why wouldn't you now vote for the stupid stranger? Someone that is a dark horse from the middle American independent philosophy who has been one of the enterprising Americans that pay all the bills, create the wealth for the few and want opportunity to live the American dream. Can a dark horse win an election in our land of opportunity? Only if America is bankrupt and continues to slide into mediocrity due to complacency. Currently the USA has negative net worth, negative working capital, inability to cover debt service out of net income, and is deferring trillions in liabilities to the future. We have knowingly let Congress cook the books, accelerating tax collections and deferring payments, then borrowing the difference. This is the definition of insolvency then bankruptcy. 
In free market enterprise this usually requires a Chapter 11 plan of reorganization if the organization is to survive. Then, if we don't raise some equity capital from the wealthy or generate a surplus, we are destined to liquidate our natural resources to our creditors. How do I know Chapter 11 10 for governments, like most entrepreneurs have been that route and thrived again despite perceived failure? If the red and blue parties want to dwell on issues, not problems, and detract and deflect by trying to reinterpret the Constitution, let the white party, the dominant stripe in the flag, not the color of skin, move in front of the majority and lead America back in the black, not the color of skin, but being financially solvent. To do this, we must be proactive and also move past the wavering independents, the Green Party, the Tea Party, the Constitution Party, the Libertarian Party, the Socialist Party, founded on economic control and become the swing vote in the Senate and House as the Enterprise Party 90% of enterprising Americans aren't represented economically. Go to the www.americanenterprisepolicalparty.org to read about a real reorganization of America to avoid the fall of the great American enterprise. A quote by a professor of economics that is truly a visionary for the American enterprise movement. On the right you have the pragmatics, the entrepreneurs, the constitutionalists, the right to lifers, on the left you have the elites from Yale and Harvard, the progressives, dreamers, intellectuals, theorists, legal gurus, right to choosers and in between you have those poor dumb, hard-working, enterprising middle class hoping for a chance at the pragmatic and elusive American dream. This same economics professor made a statement that he had never failed a single student before, but had once failed an entire class that insisted that Obama's socialism worked and that no one would be poor and no one would be rich, a great equalizer. The professor then said, okay, we'll have an experiment in this class on Captain Biden's debt-free college plan. All grades would be averaged and everyone would receive the same grade so no one would fail and no one would receive an A. After the first test, the grades were averaged and everyone got a B. The students who studied hard were upset and the students who studied little were happy. As the second test rolled around, the students who studied little had studied even less and the ones who studied hard decided they wanted a free ride too so they studied little. The second test average was D. No one was happy. When the third test rolled around, the average was an F. As the tests proceeded, the scores never increased as bickering, blame and name-calling all resulted in hard feelings and no one would study for the benefit of anyone else. All failed, to their great surprise, and the professor told them that socialism would ultimately fail because when the reward is great, the effort to succeed is great but when government takes all the reward away, no one will try or want to succeed. Free college be damned. As the late Adrian Rogers said, you cannot multiply wealth by dividing it. Uh, this is Jerry Rhodes, uh, going to quote from a book that I bought. It's called The Swing Vote, The Untapped Power of the Swing Vote by Linda Killian. I'm going to quote some sections of this book that support my not only premise but passion to get a third party active and effective. I'm going to quote on her first chapter. Most Americans are in the center and actually agree on a great deal. We're not so deeply divided a nation as either the two parties or the political pundits would have us believe. They just need to listen to the independent voters. 
These voters, at the ideological center of national political thought, represent the way forward for the political parties and a new way of thinking and trying to solve problems. These voters want compromise and common sense, and they want Republicans and Democrats to work together on centrist solutions to the most difficult problems we face as a nation. Only by listening to these voters and reforming the political process can we revitalize our politics and our country. I quote from chapter 3. A great many people are struggling on how to fix our broken system. There are a lot of good ideas out there, including demanding more civility from our officials and the media, reducing the power of money in politics and the influence of lobbyists and special interests, increasing the number of competitive congressional and state legislative districts, which would encourage more centrist candidates to run for office and opening up the primary process in all 50 states to independent or, in, the, in my proposal, American Enterprise voters. But unless independent voters push for these reforms, they are unlikely to happen. The political parties caught in a never-ending loop of finger-pointing, blaming each other, and trading power don't seem willing or able to change things. I continue quoting. There is a strong sense that the way Washington does its work is out of touch with the way other people do their work. I think it's true to some extent. The hyper-partisanship of Washington is as bad as I thought when I came here and is disconnected from the problem-solving people would like to see. I had a lot of friends who said to me, Are you crazy? Why do you want to go back to that place? It's so dysfunctional. This is the land of made-up facts. There are a bunch of Washington special interests that are fighting each other and masquerading as political parties. I continue to quote from the swing vote. Unfortunately, Congress doesn't seem to be able to deliver on that promise. Most academics and politicians don't foresee any imminent change in the way Congress works, and until there is, it's, it's unlikely there will be much progress in the nation's large, intractable, and increasingly serious problems. It could take a major crisis to force the two parties to work together, and if they fail to deal with the nation's fiscal problems, the fallout may very well provide just such a crisis. I continue to quote. Ms. Kellyan states, there is a power in, in numbers. The political parties always have known this, and the only change, only way change will happen is if enough people demand it. As Jim Lynch says, it requires the commitment of all Americans. Jim Lynch was a uh, congressman. The choice for leaders is whether to opt for unifying statesmanship, 
or opportunistic partisanship. Likewise, the challenge for citizens is to determine whom to follow, those who respect diversity but favor a united country, or those who press debilitating cultural wars or extreme ideological agendas. Citizenship is hard. It takes a commitment to listen, watch, read, and think in ways that allow the imagination to put one person in the shoes of another. I continue to quote. On June 17, 1825, 50 years to the day after the Battle of Bunker Hill, the first major battle in the Revolutionary War, Daniel Webster spoke at the ceremony to lay the cornerstone for the Boston Monument that commemorates that battle. Let our age be the age of improvement, Webster said. Let us develop the resources of our land, call forth its powers, build up its institutions, promote all its great interests, and see whether we also in our day and generation may not perform something worthy to be remembered. Let our age be the age of improvement. Let us vow to address our most pressing problems and move ahead as a nation. We can do it together, says Linda Killian, as the final words in her book, The Untapped Power of Independence and the Swaying Vote. 